Please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 6. Have you ever been in a conversation or a situation that after it was over, when you were out of it, thought to yourself, oh, I should have said that. Has that ever happened to anybody besides me? Or, oh, I should have said that. That's usually what we say, right? But we think later, we go, man, I should have said that. I missed my opportunity to say that. You know, it's funny when you get away from it, how we kind of realize the best answer. And today, I want to talk to you on the idea of seizing the moment. Because those moments come. And we don't want to miss our opportunity uh, that, of the moments that the Lord gives us. And so, in our journey with Him, there's these moments that take place and these opportunities that come our way that we really don't want to miss out on. And so, we're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 6 and we're going to read down through verse 8. It says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about about the Christ. Let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case of those who have been once enlightened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have made, been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Therefore, they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame for, gra for ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the love that you demonstrate toward us. And Father, I pray as you speak to our hearts this morning, as you help us to understand what's going on here. And I pray that we'll not miss it. I pray that our eyes will be fixed upon Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. I pray that we'll not be distracted. That we'll not miss something that you have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, he begins this section um, here in verse 1 as we've moved on from 5. I want to talk to you this morning about, about seizing the moment. We're going to learn that we need to seize the moment to move to maturity, seize the moment to be saved, and seize the moment to bear fruit. And so he begins with moving to maturity which is where he left off in, in verse 5, where we, last week we talked about growing up as we looked at the high priest. And so the move to maturity, where if we're going to seize the moment, we have to move on to maturity. We're not called to stay 
is baby Christians walking around in the, the basics of our faith forever. We're instructed to leave these elementary things, and he lists them for us here, which I found very interesting. He talks, he begins with repentance from dead works. Well, repentance is a turning to God, and I think there's two aspects to this there here. There's, if it's talking about growing up, he has to talk about those who are saved, right? He's not talking to those who are lost, lost about repentance on the salvation. It's repentance from, from uh, here, from dead works. In other words, we're turning away from self-effort or trying to do it in and of ourselves. That is an elementary thing that's in God's word that people are, are we turn away from of doing these things in and of ourselves. That's one of the early things that is supposed to fall off in our relationship with the Lord. It doesn't, it's not meant to stay. It's meant to be an initial response. And then as we grow, we go, wow, that's really not the way things are supposed to work. And so he talks about those as one of the early things. Then he uh, talks about faith toward God. How are we supposed to move on from faith toward God? Aren't we always supposed to have faith toward God? Right? So how do we move on from that? We move on from it from this idea of do I or don't I to having a settled faith. It's not should I put my faith, can I trust him, is it okay. That's for when the elementary walk is taking place. As you mature in Christ, it's not is it okay, it's I know I can trust him. I know that he's solid. I move on. From those things to simple, from simple faith, or from the decision of faith to a constant, settled faith. Then he goes on down. He talks about instruction about washing and laying on the hand of hands. And there was a lot of, of ceremonial law and ceremonial things that would go on with the Israelites and the new believers and the Judaizers coming in. And he had said these things. You know, they taught them all these things that they were supposed to do, um, and they're all about getting these processes right and a lot of times they leave out the Lord in that. And so we can get the behavior right. The truth that you know what, here's the truth. We really know how to behave for the most part, don't we? As a Christian. The problem is doing it. Ain't nobody say amen to that. I heard it though. Did y'all hear it? Your neighbor said it. That's who we were thinking. Yeah, they really <laughs> But that's the problem. And so he's talking not about the things that we're supposed to do. He talks about moving on from the resurrection of the dead. See, and we have examples of that. You know, they're still, they were debating resurrection from the dead. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Yes or no? Yes. Did Lazarus rise from the dead? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. So why would we still talk about that? It's a settled fact. These are things that should be settled facts in our life. And then he tells us this. He said, it's time to press on to maturity. But he makes an interesting caveat in here. He said, with God's permission. With God's permission. So can I not mature without God giving, granting me permission? Let me explain how that works. 
The things that are spiritually understood about God are given to us. We come to enlightenment. We don't apply brain power and figure it out and now we get it. It has to be the revelation of Jesus Christ. It has to be the revelation of God, the Holy Spirit to us to help us to understand the spiritual things of God. It's not because I'm smart enough and I've got it all figured out. Usually the people that apply no faith and come to this book as um, a fact book, they miss the point of it. They miss the author of the book all completely. And so when he's telling them, he says, Press on, God grants us permission by revealing himself and revealing the truth to us as we study his word, as we pray, as we're in those moments where we choose him or don't choose him. Because maturity has to do with applying the word of God and we grow in understanding as we apply, right? You know, if <laughs> how many of you understand that the Bible says that we are called to preach the gospel? How many of you we're called to preach the gospels here. How many of you in a situation with somebody start to understand things about preaching the gospel when you're in the conversation with somebody that you didn't understand when you just knew the information? It changes, doesn't it? There's a dynamic. There's a moving of the spirit. There's a being as sensitive to what, how they're responding. There's praying while you're sharing with them. There's not... If you're feeling withheld, learning to stop and not push through that. Because you might be watering a seed. And if you put too much water, you can float the seed right out of there and it go on down the road. You ever flooded out a garden before, forgot the water? and Some plants will make it and some won't. Right? When that happens. And so we're to press on. See, fruit bearing, maturity, part of maturity as well as fruit bearing. And we're going to see that in a little bit. We're going to save that for you. That's coming later this morning. But producing fruit or bearing fruit, we don't produce fruit, right? We don't produce fruit, right? Right. That's produced by the vine as the branch does what? Abides, thank you. As the branch abides, the vine produces the fruit. We bear the fruit. It's an interesting journey with him. So it appears from this passage that maturity involves more than knowledge. It involves heart. It involves application and fruit. And so in the absence of all those things, we're not maturing. And so he said, press on to that. It's time to grow up. Press on. Then we get to one of these mystery verses that I have heard so much interesting preaching on. What is this verse actually saying? Do you want me to read this section again? Verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 4. 
For in the case of those who have been once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it's impossible to renew them to repentance. Since they again crucified themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. That's one of the verses that scare us as Christians, isn't it? That we let scare us. Should that verse scare us? <laughs> You're like, is this a trick question? <laughs> Are we given a spirit of fear? There you go. So no verse should scare us. So is he talking about losing our salvation here or giving it away? That's how it seems to read that way, doesn't it? That's not what he's talking about. Let's go back for a minute. When we're saved, what kind of life are we saved unto? Is it probationary life? Temporary life? Eternal life? When does eternal end? Never. So, if we're saved unto eternal life, and God is not a liar, which I believe He's not, then the life He gives us has to last forever. So in light of that fact, how do we respond to verses like this? Well, I think we have to understand what's going on. There is a comparison contrast. He contrasts the people here with immature people. Now I want you to see where I'm going to walk you through this. I'm not going to leave you today. I'm not going to close in prayer right now. He contrasts them with the preceding, with the immature people in the preceding verses. These people here are described, and let's go through the description, as those who have been enlightened. So they've been allowed to see spiritual things. They've been allowed to see spiritual things. When the Holy Spirit comes to a lost person, He begins to show them spiritual things about their life, doesn't He? That's part of the initial moment where he begins to woo us unto salvation. So they've been spiritually enlightened. So he takes them from there. Their eyes are open. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. Listen, when God calls us unto salvation, he shows us hope, doesn't he? He shows us a better way. And so they've taken, they haven't consumed it. They haven't accepted it. They've only tasted of it. They've gotten to see what it could be like. And so he says, having tasted of the heavenly gift, he reveals the goodness of himself and salvation. Tasting is, you know what? If anybody here ever go to Panda Express? You ever go there? And what do they ask you? Would you like to taste something? Does it require any commitment to taste something out of there? They stab it with a little piece of wood and we put it in our mouth, right? The commitment is when I say, I'll take that. That's what he's talking about. They're getting to taste it, but there's no commitment. So they've tasted this heavenly gift. 
But pastor, it says that they're partakers of the Holy Spirit. What's he talking about? When you're a partaker of the Holy Spirit, when I'm receiving what he has to say, I'm partaking of him. And so I'm engaging with the Holy Spirit. I'm receiving it. The only way I can taste it is if I take it. I'm a partaker. I'm receiving what he has to say. I'm not cutting him off. I'm listening and making a decision about my relationship. They're partaking. Now watch this. They're partakers of the Holy Spirit. They're not partakers of salvation. That's not what it says. It says they're partakers of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say they are partakers of salvation. So watch how this goes on. And have tasted the good word of God. God reveals his word to him. What does he reveal from his word? Number one, let's go back. Who is his word? Who is the word? Jesus Christ. So he reveals Jesus Christ to them. They understand the story of the cross. They're hearing and understanding it. It's not a mystery to them. They know he's their only hope. And they've tasted of the powers to come. See, people are quickened by the Holy Spirit so that they have the ability to respond to the call of salvation. So what is he talking about? What he's talking about is because we have we have the responsibility to respond to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us about being lost, don't we? What he's talking about here is when the Holy Spirit comes to us or comes to a lost man and begins to reveal the things of God, begins to reveal himself, begins to reveal salvation. They get to see for the first time something spiritual and their relationship with God, if they say no to that, instead of yes and receive Christ as their salvation, if they say no, it's impossible to renew them to repentance because what else would you tell them? That's the story. I can tell you again, there's nothing new. And it says this, if they fall away from this, it's impossible to renew them again to what? Repentance, not salvation. We're moving to repentance. The things that move us to repentance, not salvation. He's talking about bringing them to that point so they can be saved. And if they turn their back, God, after God has reached out and brought them to this point by revealing himself. They aren't going to come back since they've already heard the truth and rejected. There's nothing new to tell them. He says here that they crucify Christ to themselves and shame him because they reject him. As Israel did. Did Jesus claim to be the son of God? Did he claim to be God when he was here? Yes. <laughs> Why did Israel want him crucified? Why did the why did the the religious zealots, the Jews, want him crucified? Because they understood that he claimed to be God. 
They say even said at one point, him as a man make himself out, maketh himself out to be God. They understood that he claimed to be God. That's why they wanted him dead. Instead of realizing that their understanding was wrong, they held to their own understanding instead of submitting to the one who had come to save them, the Messiah. And so in the same, and who crucified him? They did because they rejected those claims. When we reject those claims as lost people, it's the same deal. Go ahead and crucify him. That's what's happening. So my encouragement is this. If God's calling you to salvation, today is the day of salvation. Please say yes. Now, let me address this because I can guarantee there's somebody with this story here. Well, when God began to work on me the very first time, I didn't respond initially, but I responded later. Happens, right? This is maybe the third time or fourth time. He had not brought you all the way to the point of repentance. Some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. So there's a planting and a watering that takes place, but there becomes a moment in time where you've got to make a decision. When that time comes, that's what this is talking about. And so, seize the moment. If you feel God speaking to you, if you feel like that you need that you never turn your life over to Christ, and you feel like He's calling you to be saved, do it. Do it. But He doesn't leave us there, which is really cool. He calls us to produce fruit. I told you it would come later. Because if we're going to seize our opportunity to produce fruit, we have to look at our ground. It's kind of like this little bizarre story at the end, right? It seems like, what is he? It's like all these things seem inter- not connected at all. But they're absolutely connected. I love stuff that's seen that way because it just drives me in deeper. It's like the Sermon on the Mount. Y'all ever go familiar with that out of Matthew 5? Blessed are those who, blessed are those, and blessed are those. And, and we'll, we'll teach those as individual principles. I'm going to tell you something. You can't move to the next one until you experience the one before it. And I'll walk you through that. That's the process of brokenness. How we come to the end of ourselves. How we discover Christ. Living life in Him. And producing the fruit you read it. I'm telling you, it's an amazing thing. I've actually been thinking about doing that as a, a snippet after Hebrews. This is really this cool thing. And so we have, we're called to produce fruit, ladies and gentlemen. The writer is using a comparison and contrast here as well. Like he did in the first sections here. He contra- contrasted and compared a baby Christian with one who is entering salvation. And so here what he does is he contrasts two types of ground. Both of them do what? They both drink the rain, don't they? They both drink the rain, but they have different results. There's different results. How is that possible? Parents, have you ever asked yourself this? 
those of you who have multiple children, how can two kids from the same DNA be so different? One is the amazing child, and one is the other child. They have different results. One brings forth vegetation. Vegetation. Useful to those for whose sake it's tilled. This is so cool. Don't miss this. The veg Does the ground get to consume the vegetation? It's useful for those whom it is tilled. Your fruit is meant for somebody else. It's not meant for you. But when that happens, when my fruit does the work in somebody else's life, I receive a blessing. See that? Isn't that cool? It's right there. It's a blessing to be used by God or even be consumed by the people for whom... He's been working through me for. But then there's another fruit. It yields thorns and thistles. It's called worthless. Close to being cursed and burned in the end. Close, but not there. Same as useless. But there's something keeping it from going over, and that's salvation. And so when God is working in and through you, we have to let that happen. When we're talking about producing fruit, we're talking about letting the Holy Spirit of God work in and through us. How many of you think that just seems like a mystery, how that works? Because how, you know, we're called to fruit be bearing fruit, but we define it as things we do. How many people have you won to the Lord? How, many, how often do you go to church? How's your tithe going? Which all those things are important, except they flow out of the Spirit of God in us. Not to become acceptable, because we've been made acceptable. Out of the joy of knowing Him. Out of the joy of the fact that he rescued me from going to hell. That he rescued me from living a life apart from him. That he rescued me from the despair of not knowing who he is. And thinking I have life. How many of you have ever defined life as what you've accomplished with it? We have a tendency to do that, don't we? You ask somebody, well, tell me about your life. Well, I went to school and I got this education and I did this and I've got two kids and I've got this and I've got... A... It's the things we've accomplished. Right? We're so ingrained to think that way that we don't realize what life really is. Life is the, is the fellowship that we get to share with, the, with our Father in Heaven. And if you want to go deeper with it, Jesus is our life. 
And that's part of the joy of this journey. And so what comes out of us matters, ladies and gentlemen. When you receive rain from God, what does your ground produce? When God shows you something, do you respond to it? And you go, hey, that was nice. That was awesome. Do you think God shows you things in His Word just for you, for your own edification? I would say that's part of it. Because when I'm edified by God, when I'm instructed by God, and that's so cool, even corrected. And even when we're corrected by God and we don't like it, I don't know how many of y'all like to be corrected. And we all said, and Jada said, (laughs) and the rest of us said nothing. But there's something really good about it too, isn't there? When we know, and even though it's hard, we know it's right, we know it's good, and we know it's of God, and we, we just got to do it. And we have joy in our heart and regret that we're having to do it because we're in that situation sometimes, right? And that's the journey. And so, <laughs> useful vegetation or thorns and thistles, we're called to produce fruit, folks. We're called to produce fruit. Not, uh, let me back up. We are called to bear fruit. We're called to let fruit be produced on our branch. We're called into fruit bearing. And so if we're going to seize our opportunities with the Lord, there's like three things that, that ought to be true. We need to spend our time applying what we know. Move beyond just discovering the facts about God. It's time to engage Him. How does the things you know about God change how you live and how you interact with other people? Does it? Well, Pastor, now you're moving back into a works mentality. I'm moving into a results mentality. Because... When I engage God, it ought to change me, right? How can you be in the presence of the one who created all this thing and not be different? The only way to not be different is to be arrogant above him. And then I'm guessing if that was my situation, he wouldn't spend that time with me. Because my Bible says that God resists the the proud but gives grace to the humble. Doesn't work. It's not when it's about us. And so choose to lay your heart open before him. Some of you are afraid of that. If I lay my heart open, he's going to see everything, even this ugly thing over here, or even this little dark secret back over here in the shadow that I've kind of kept for myself. Ain't nobody amen in that one. But it's true. We have apprehension. You know the people who have no apprehension? The people that are just absolutely telling the truth. You ever notice that? When you're telling the truth, you're like, man, let's put it all out there. But if there's any shade or filtering, you ever do that as kids? You filter a little bit? Kind of tell them just some of it? 
I never do that. <laughs> I thought you guys were going to be on a cruise today. <laughs> you kind of filter. My sister did that. Right? Brother, how many brothers and sisters are here? I just have one set that I know of. But yeah, if it's if, if you're honest, you have nothing to fear. So spend, you know, spend your time. What if we just stop all the education at this point and just worked on applying what we already know? Unless you're in school, you need to go to school and get a good education. Wherever your school may be. But what if, we, what if we just applied it? What if we started to really take the word of God and take it seriously and say, God, what does this say about me? How does this change how I live? Why is this? Have I just asked him why this is in his word? Why he chose to include that? I've asked him that. Why did you put this in? Because we're told about Jesus Christ that all the books of the world couldn't contain it, right? And this is what we have out of all the books of the world that couldn't contain it, so there'd be more. This is what we have. This is pretty important, right? Out of everything he could have chosen, he chose this for us. It says, spend our time applying what we know too. If you sense the Lord calling you into a relationship with him, do not fear, just say yes and walk with him in the same way you came to him. Don't overthink it. Well, you know, I'm sensing the Lord calling me, but I'm afraid I'm going to have to give up this and this and this. We start to reason it out. I'll tell you this, when the Lord really comes to you, nothing else matters. <laughs> nothing and if you're having that voice come in, that ain't the Lord, and that ain't probably ain't you. Because we wrestle not with flesh and blood, ladies and gentlemen. We wrestle with principalities and powers and evil forces that would try to destroy and keep us from the Lord. Or water down our witness when we do come to Him. Or try to tell us we're a failure after we've come to Christ. Or say, how can He use you because you did this, this, and this, and this. And we live in that. We say, well, I don't have the resources to do that. And we're telling the one with all the resources in the world that we don't have the resources to do what he's asked us to do. He'll provide you every resource you need to do what he's called you to do. And there won't be anything lacking. And if there's something lacking, then there's a lesson in there or it's not time yet. Amen. God is enough. He, does, he doesn't need me for anything. He could say, I'm done with you, and there'd be just a grease spot here. And nothing would change. Well, it would for me. <laughs> Maybe my parents would. God doesn't need me. He invites me for me. It's for my own good. And for the good of others. And the joy of walking with Him. And sometimes, how, you ever had some, 
you felt like God led you and then it didn't really go where you felt like God led you? Have you ever been in that situation? Listen, let me give you a couple, I'm going to give you a biblical example. Remember Abraham and Isaac? Did that go where God led him? Did he kill his son? What did God tell him? God told him, go up there and sacrifice your son. But that's not what happened. But that's what Abraham needed to commit to for him to use him the way he wanted to use him. Did God deceive him? No, God doesn't do that. This was about Abraham's heart. Abraham's heart needed to be in the place that he was willing to do that. So God could use him to do what he wanted him to do. But we're so afraid. And you know what? Y'all know how old Isaac was? Isaac was carrying the rope. He said, Dad, I see the knife. I see the rope, but I don't see the sacrifice. So Abraham hadn't told him. Except to say, God will provide himself the sacrifice. See, he had faith beyond the action. He had faith beyond what he could see. He had faith beyond what would make sense or not make sense. Because he knew who God was. So don't overthink it, ladies and gentlemen. Whatever God asks you to do, do it. If you're not saved this morning, just say yes. During invitation, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. If you've never prayed that before, I encourage you to do that. Three, accept the fact that you are capable of bearing fruit. Man, I can't tell you how many Christians I've talked to say... Well, that's good for Billy Graham, or that's good for so-and-so, or that's good for you, which if they only knew. (laughs) But that's good for somebody else. That's good for somebody who's super talented like Stephen. But you know what? Stephen's not perfect. I know that may come as a shock to some of you. Maybe even to Stephen himself. <laughs> if you're going to tee it up, you got to love it. <laughs> and guess what? I'm not perfect either. See, nobody was shocked on that one. <laughs> I'm not perfect either. So why would you think God can't use you? Unless his word says here, he doesn't use people by the name of Mark. You know, his word eliminates me. But I've not read that anywhere. So we don't have any excuses, ladies and gentlemen, to not be used, to not enjoy that relationship, the joy of it. And you know what? I want you to think about this for a minute. If we're being used in somebody's life, We're being used in a place where God isn't completely in control. 
where they're hurt or where there's a vacancy. Because if he's completely in control of an area and God's using them in that area, he doesn't need me there. He needs me where there's a need. And so when we enter situations where there's a need in people's life, there's a need, whether it's a faith, or whether it's a material need, or whether it's um, an information need, whether it's to see somebody who's genuinely in love, it's going to feel difficult. Because if God has moved us through that and we've learned and, and experienced the overcoming of it, that's the only way we can see clearly to help somebody. That's the Matthew 7. The old plank and the speck. Get that plank out of your own eyes so you can see clearly. Get that speck out of somebody else's. But I'll tell you what, you ever had a speck in your eye? <laughs> it hurts, man. <laughs> Imagine a plank. Man, I, when I see a, when I think of a plank, I think of a, like a telephone pole hanging out of my eye. And you know what's really sad? Let's, let's take that. If I had a telephone pole stuck in my eye, I'm probably not going to be able to see with that eye too good. Right? But if I get it out and I receive healing, then I can kind of see and I've been through the journey. But I can't see before that. You are capable of bearing fruit. There's a reason God poured out the rain on you, ladies and gentlemen. If you're here, there's a reason God saved you. There's a reason the rain has come in your life. There's a reason that He's called you. You don't need to know why. You just need to know it's true. Just let it affect you and the fruit will fit will fit automatically. You know, there was a lady who was writing to a young man who was in the Navy. This is back when we used to actually write letters. You all remember that? When you actually used to write to people and use a stamp I was, I saw this, I saw this old show from, I think it was late 70s, early 80s. And the guy said, looks at his thing, he says, stamps have gone to 19 cents. I wouldn't write to anybody if I had to. And I just laughed because we're like, at, what is it, 49 cents? 55. I don't write either, apparently. 55 cents now. It'll be at a dollar eventually. It's coming. But she was writing to this guy in the Navy who was almost a stranger. She thought, shall I close this as anybody else would or should I say a word for the Lord? You ever had that thought? Should I speak for the Lord here or should I just let it go? She had that thought. So this is what she decided to do. This is really interesting. So... She took a moment, prayed, and she wrote, telling him, this is what she told him, she felt glad, telling him that his constant change of scene and place was an apt illustration for the word. And she said, here, this is what she wrote, here we have no continuing city, 
and asked if he could say, I seek the one to come. Trembling, she folded it and sent it off. He replied, this is what he wrote. Thank you so much for those kind words. I am an orphan. No one has spoken to me like that since my mother died long years ago. The arrow shot at a venture hit home. And the young man shortly afterward rejoiced in his newfound salvation. If there's a reason God's prompting you, there's a reason God's prompting you. So if you think you're feeling weak, seize the opportunity and see what happens. Don't back away from it. Don't have regrets. You know, I really wish I should have, or I should have done that, or I should have done this. And Don't live that way. Live in the moment. I've started as, as people run across my mind, or things happen, or situations take place, or... Um, where I think of what a blessing somebody's been. I've started calling and responding to them. Responding to that. To see what God does with it. It's going to be a fun experiment. I think what it's actually is. Is actually trying to walk the Christian life. Out of joy. Not trying. Responding appropriately. Imagine. All the contacts that have been made. And the difference that can make in somebody's life. Seize your opportunities, folks. They're around us all the time. And if your ears are attentive, people say things all the time that lead to conversations about salvation. I want to be part of a place where God's in control. Amen? And that starts with me. That's the only thing I can, I can do is start with myself. And if I let Him have me that way, Maybe that'll be a blessing and encouragement to somebody else. Let's everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.